0: My prayers that the Lord will encourage you this morning. Luke chapter 1, the very first chapter of Luke. I want to share with you two simple verses out of chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And um, this is, in these two verses, a message spoken by the angel Gabriel to the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, the elderly priest, whose wife Elizabeth, who had been barren he's now been told by the angel of God, your wife is going to have a son and he's going to be the servant of the Lord. And speaking of John the Baptist, so Zachariah says, well, I, I don't know if I can buy this because have you looked at my, my wife's like, um, you know, she's on Medicare and she's in <laughs> her 70s, 80s. I don't think we're going to be having kids. And so, but she does have a son. John the Baptist comes forth and you know he's the forerunner for Christ. So, at any rate, the angel of the Lord is speaking to Zechariah. I've picked this one little excerpt that I've taken out of what he said about John's ministry, and I want to key in off of it this morning. Speaking to Zachariah from the, from the angel Gabriel concerning John the Baptist, he says, He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go as a forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. There were two primary objectives that God gave John the Baptist in his message that he was to preach in order to prepare a people for the Lord. Those two objectives were to convict rebellious people to embrace righteous wisdom. The phrase the angel of the Lord used with Zechariah was to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And the second objective was to return fathers' hearts to their children. Now, I don't know what had happened in the day and in the culture, in the day 2,000 years ago that John the Baptist and Jesus lived in to separate the hearts of fathers from their children, but whatever it was, it was probably not unlike what's happened in our culture today. And so these two things were necessary in order to prepare the society for the arrival of Jesus and His message. I would have come up with maybe other things. But the Lord said these are the two things that need to happen. To convict rebellious people to repent and return to the wisdom of the righteous and to return fathers' hearts to their children. Think about it. Perverted values fostered by a spirit of rebellion and bad father experiences are the two main issues that greatly hinder people's ability to receive Jesus. Right. I would say, you put those two together, that covers probably about 80 plus percent of the things that keep people from being able to receive the Lord. Twisted up thinking based on a spirit of rebellion that have destroyed and polluted people's thinking so that they're wacky in their worldview. And the other, probably even bigger, daddy issues. I like to call them today, but what it boils down to is the separation of fathers and their children. It is impossible to measure the impact of fathers upon children and on society as a whole. Today, dads find almost no support for their fatherhood as they fight an uphill battle against bad culture. So this morning, what I want to do is share three simple, inspiring examples of fatherhood taken from the life of Jesus' own stepfather, Joseph, who was married to Mary. And um, I want to just share a little account out of uh, Matthew about, uh, about Joseph and what the Lord spoke to him. Now, the birth of Jesus happened this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, and let me pause for a moment and just explain that marriage took place in three steps in the Jewish culture. There was an engagement usually arranged for the the two young people when they were still youths. Uh, Then, probably about a year out from the actual marriage ceremony, they entered into a a more intense level of engagement called betrothal. It was like being married without the living together. And all that goes along with that, and then of course there was the wedding that marked the day that they would enter into married life together. So Mary and Joseph at this point were betrothed. The wedding plans were set, and they were they in a betrothal is very strong covenant compact. It, it, you could uh, you could break a modern marriage easier than you could break a betrothal in those days. Just to give you an idea of where. Joseph and Mary were at when the angel visited Mary and she was found to be with uh, the father's um, son. Hallelujah. The father of all eternity himself entering in and and, uh, bringing forth a son in Mary. So the announcement is made to Joseph. We don't know how Joseph found out. We don't know if Mary told him, oh, I've got exciting news. I talked with an angel and guess what? I'm pregnant It was something probably like that. I don't know if she was showing and he he saw it. Um, Having never been a dad, I don't know, maybe he wasn't that observant. But you can use your imagination. Somehow or another, he finds out. When he finds out, uh, the Bible says, well, I'll read it. It actually describes it right here. Now, the birth of Jesus was this way. While his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, but before they had come together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, but Joseph, her husband-to-be, was a righteous man. Mark that phrase. He was a righteous man, and because he did not want to disgrace her, he intended to divorce her privately. When he had contemplated this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And so we know the story from there that that Joseph immediately changed his his decision, his plans to quietly uh, uh, break the betrothal so that she would not be disgraced. And instead, he goes through with the ceremony. They're married. They become a family. And uh, shortly after, the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and speaks to him and says, take the mother and the child and flee and go down to Egypt because Herod is seeking to kill him. And Herod indeed kills all the sons in Jerusalem that were two years old and younger. And so Joseph does that, takes his family down, and they spend some years in Egypt until the angel Lord speaks to him again and says it's safe to come home. And he goes home and he goes to Nazareth where the family grows up. And uh, Joseph and Mary have six other children, four sons, two boys, and they have a pretty active family. Jesus, Jesus is the eldest. And Joseph spends many years as a a very busy father, raising and training his children. Well, let's go back to this event where Joseph finds out that Mary's with child. Joseph could have processed the revelation that his betrothed was actually pregnant. He could have processed that revelation with pride, with anger. He could have processed it through legalism. Um, I don't think anyone would have blamed him. I'm sure he was angry. I'm sure he was greatly disappointed. And um, he certainly, in the Jewish culture, had the um, had the legal option of dragging her to the city gates before the city fathers and accusing her of becoming pregnant out of wedlock. And they, they would have had They would have had the uh, legal authority to stone her. At the very least, they would have humiliated her, and some of that humiliation would have fallen on him as well. All of those things he could have done. Could have acted out of anger. Could have been legalistic. But he chose not to do it, and the Bible explains it by saying one thing. He was a righteous man. And I want to talk this morning about dads and righteousness. That is one of the features that Joseph had, and it's one of the indispensable features of a truly good dad, a good father. good dad's not a man that doesn't make mistakes, isn't tempted to act out of pride, become disappointed, furious even. My dad, my own dad would become furious, but never at big things. It was always a bent nail, pair of pliers that would pinch a pinky, something like that. That would always get the major things. He was steady, like a rock. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Some father's righteousness and love, and let me just also add, it's obvious that Joseph loved Mary very much, cared for her. And when he first found out she was pregnant, we don't have any account that he questioned her, that he accused her, he put her in a corner and say, explain yourself, what's this crazy talk you're giving me about an angel? Are you, do you think I was fell off the turnip truck yesterday? We don't have any kind of an example of that. He truly took it all in because he was a righteous man, and his righteousness was founded not in his, his own disciplines, but in his love, in his heart, his love for his wife to be. And so he takes it all in and he just settles in and he's probably heartbroken but decides to put it away till the angel comes and explains. And when the angel explains to him, he completely adjusts all of his ambitions, all of his dreams, and he decides to go ahead and become the dad he had planned to be, even though his whole life was going to be different. Some father's righteousness and love quits where personal disappointments and humiliation enter in. Once their plans get upended, once all their dreams are are put away, there goes the context for being righteous. And, And all of us have perhaps seen dads like that. We think, wow, where did all that commitment go? Where did all the expression of love go? Just because things... Just because your whole world fell apart, that's no reason to stop being righteous. I know it sounds comical, but that's what Joseph was faced with. But in order to lead his family in righteousness, Joseph sets all of his disappointments aside. The loss of his own dreams, and he immediately adapts himself. That is a quality of a great father. He's able to land on his feet, and keep being that righteous man, that upright man, even when his own plans and his own world fall apart. Being a good father begins with being a good man. And most of the girls in the congregation this morning don't look like they're waiting to have their first marriage experience. If they did, I would give out this advice and I'd say, when you go looking for a man, just remember, pick a good man because it takes a good man to be a good father. Now, Joseph possessed a genuine righteousness. When I say genuine righteousness, I mean a, a righteousness that surpasses the emotional boundaries of legalism. Some people's righteousness, the minute that things don't go right, they're looking for their legal options. How can I, how can I get even? How can I make this right? How can I uh, go to court, so to speak, and, uh, and, uh, and, and compensate myself for my loss? We, some people do it emotionally, they do it mentally, they do it verbally. But true, genuine righteousness, the righteousness that comes from heaven, the Bible says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. How fair was it for God to come down in the person of Jesus? Make no mistake about who Jesus was. He is the eternal Father becoming a man, taking our place on the cross. If ever there was a father who had a legal right to opt out and say, these people have all betrayed me. They have all played the adulterer. They've all turned their backs on me. But he didn't opt out. Instead, he came and he took our place and and received our punishment. So, true righteousness, God's righteousness always surpasses those legal options because it's focused on God's long-range redemptive vision. It may take a while, but God has a plan to turn those kids around. God has a plan to win people. And sometimes it's a long-term plan, a long-range plan, but he doesn't quit, he doesn't give up because his love is never-ending. He's a redemptive father. And that's the kind of righteousness that God puts in dads that raise their children. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. If you know what we're talking about. Let's go on to the second, the second point about Joseph. Joseph had not only righteousness, but he had responsibility. When I think of, um, I was raised in a a completely secular atheistic home, but I had good parents. I had a great father, and um, I learned responsibility. I learned the, the godly principles that were awakened in me when I turned from being an atheist to a Christian and the Lord came into my life. Those principles had been instilled in me by my father and the Holy Spirit just woke them up. So responsibility is one of the things that make a great dad. Joseph had his own dreams. He had his own plans for his family. In the context of his own dreams, he was ready to step up at that wedding and commit himself and be responsible. Imagine, maybe remember back to your own uh, wedding day, and that the imagination, the plans perhaps of a lifetime as you were growing up that you formulated and were thinking about the day I get married, when I start my family, this is the way it's going to be. We all had those expectations. You don't need to raise your hand, but the question is, how many of you would say that the expectation and the dreams you had all the years growing up about how your marriage was going to be, your plans, your dreams, just all bloomed like an English garden <laughs> in springtime after the wedding. Did, that, did it all happen like that? No, you don't like Alright, so, well <laughs> Joseph certainly, certainly, he was ready to take responsibility within the confines of his own dream his own plans. But his own dream was overruled by a completely different set of circumstances that were forced upon him. And he made a choice to be the man that is responsible, even if the the drama, the play that I was a part of has now folded up its tent and gone away. And now I'm standing in a whole new world. It's a whole new play. All All of the parameters have changed. And a lot of guys fold up their tent and that's where the end of their responsibility because that responsibility was tied to a plan that they had, a dream they had. But true responsibility is a deeply planted character, heart, moral issue. And he decided to go forward and be the responsible person in somebody else's dream. Amen. So, many fathers are prepared to be responsible, but only in the context of their own plans. Joseph's responsibility, though, wasn't rooted in himself, it was rooted in God. And when your responsibility is rooted in God, you're able to watch your dreams and plans fold up and still be that, that father, that man. And these, of course, these principles apply to everybody in every situation, but we're, we're aiming them at the dads this morning. Now, I truly believe that Joseph believed that his responsibility as a father was as unto the Lord, that he owed that responsibility to be a father to God. And by owing the responsibility to be a father to God and to perform those responsibilities as unto the Lord obligates God to be your father and to be your leader. When I, as a as a dad. When I first became a dad, I was way too young to be a dad. But we had planned it. We'd been married a couple years, and our our firstborn is sitting in the sanctuary this morning. And I I remember becoming a dad at what? I was 20, I think, 20 years old. And in some ways, I was a very mature 20 years old. And in other ways, I was a very immature 20-year-old. But uh, ready or not, like the old game goes, here I come. <laughs> Hallelujah. And the one thing I would have to say that really made the difference, and I defer to my daughter, you can talk to her afterwards and get the truth, um, <laughs> is that I believed I owed to my heavenly father, I owed to God, my fatherhood <clears throat> towards my daughter and towards my son. And, and to my grandsons and and I want to and granddaughters, and let me say to you this morning, my message is to granddads. You know, today more than ever, grandfathers have a major role in the raising of their their granddaughters, and uh, so my granddaughters are. I am a dad to my two granddaughters, who I love. Uh, I, I love almost as much as I love my own daughter, but. At any rate, if I knew that those granddaughters were going to be as wonderful as they are, I'd have been nicer to their mother. But the, um, the fact is that we owe that fatherhood, the stewardship of it, the responsibility we owe to God. And when, when a man, um, no matter how frightened or ill, unprepared you feel you are, you say, I am the man. I am here. And let me, let me take it a step farther. I know divorce is prevalent today. I know that many dads are no, not living under the same roof as their kids, but they still have committed to being a dad to their kids. And that's just as important. And, and my hat is off to every dad who's not living under the roof of their children's home, but they are still a father to their sons and to their daughters. They're still there. They they. They may want to go somewhere else, but they live in the same town. They, they set aside their own dreams, their own ambitions. In, in many ways, theirs is even a much di- more difficult job because they are there committed, altering their lives. Even though the relationship that produced those children may not be the same that it was, their commitment is still there to their children. And they are heroes. They are heroes to those children today. Praise the Lord. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Think about it like this. Our our God, the Heavenly Father, wasn't living under the same roof. His Son, He was in heaven, His Son upon the earth. But there was the communication. There was that unbroken oneness between them. So he believed his responsibility to be a father was as unto the Lord. He served the Lord through that responsibility. You don't want to tie your responsibility to be a father To your children, tie it to God because the Lord will never disappoint you. Your kids, (laughs) you will wake up many mornings if you haven't found this out already. And you feel like, you know, I'm taking my daddy bat and ball and I'm going to find some other kids. (laughs) Because I'm through with you guys. So that responsibility isn't based in your children or their behavior. It's based in in your commitment to the Lord. That's what makes a great father. Joshua in Joshua 24, 15 said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joseph was ready to be responsible as the leader, no matter whether he would face humiliation. Think about it. When Joseph agreed that he would take Mary... There was no guarantee that the society wouldn't find out that she had been pregnant before they got married. And even though they would have been discreet still, if that information got out, he would have been talked about. He would have been humiliated. He was was ready to handle all of that. And his own disappointment did not cause his responsibility to wane. So Dads who who take responsibility for the children, they adapt their time and attention to their children's need for a father. Look, teachers and iPhones can't raise your kids. (laughs) And their problems aren't going to be solved by counselors or medications. And, you know, I know we throw iPhones and teachers and medications and television at our kids. I know we live a very busy life. I'm not saying this from a condemning standpoint. Um, uh, The life today and the economics such as they are um, require parents to spend quite a bit of time away from their children. But the reality is it makes the time that we do have together so much more important. I remember as a dad dragging home after a long day at the... uh, A large church had a lot of responsibilities, and so I was at the office morning, noon, and night. Dragging in tired. I remember lying on the floor, playing with the kids and falling asleep. Feel free to crawl on me, jump on me, whatever. Just please don't wake me up. Um, But you got to wake up, and you've got to be there and be attentive. Because there's things only a father can teach. Um, How to be a true man. You know, they're great moms or great mothers, um, and they do a tremendous job not to take anything away. But how to truly be a man, where do you learn it? You learn it from a father. Nobody else can teach that. How to be a godly man. How to correctly love a wife. Only a father can teach that. How to patiently raise a family. Only a father can teach that. How to overcome life's disappointments and still be a man. Where does a son learn that? A son doesn't learn at any place but from a father. Um, how to fall without failing. How many men fall in life and they just get angry and quit? But to fall and to get back up again and to stay faithful takes a father to teach a son how to do that. Daughters need to see men that are like that. They need to see that example so that they know what they ought to expect from a man when they grow up and go looking for a husband. They should know what they're looking for because they've seen it in their father. How to serve God and still be a man. How to be an upright man, a real man, and still serve the Lord. Fathers teach those things. Let's go on to the third, third feature that we see in, in um, Joseph's life. And, and I'm, I've selected this word, and I want to give a little bit of a um, disclaimer. It's the word religion. In, in modern Christian circles, we don't like the word religion because we like to say Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. And uh, that nuance is not unfair. It's true. Our, our religion is a relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's not the, the hard inflexible, rigid performance of religious obligations and rules and things. It's a relationship. But before we throw out the word religion, it is an important word. It says in James chapter 1, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let me read that again. James writes, pure religion in the sight of God means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Pure religion. I'm going to bring that word religion in and say that that is the third leg of that three-legged stool that a good father, that Joseph stood upon. Because religion takes relationship and expands it horizontally in that relationship with other people. Too many Christians are running around saying, I don't need to be, I don't need to feel obligated by anybody about how I need to behave. My relationship with God is between me and God. But the fact of the matter is just like the cross has a vertical beam and a horizontal beam, so also true Christianity is relationship and the religion of how you relate to others around you equally is important as the relationship feature is the religious feature of how your life is governed with respect to your relationship with other people. Joseph instilled that in his children, his sons, his daughters. He instilled that, I'm sure, in Jesus, though it was native in Jesus' spirit, as he spent time with his father in the carpentry shop learning about building and business, where do you think Jesus got all those parables from? A builder began to build and he counted the cost before he was finished. He talked about a lot of things his father would have taught him as they spent time together. So I believe, and as I was raised, like I said, in an atheist home, I had a wonderful father, who instilled in me the elements of true religion without being a believer? Now, I was the first one in our family to become a Christian. Years later, everybody, every to this uh, today, everybody saved, everybody became a Christian and, and uh, gave their heart to the Lord. I'm so thankful for it. But the man who wrote those words, <laughs> pure religion is to visit the widows and the fatherless in their distress and to not let the world corrupt you. That's pure religion. You know who, James who wrote that? You know who he was? He was Jesus' brother. Joseph was his dad also. Where did that concept come from? Joseph taught it to him. Amen. So Joseph was not just a family provider, he was obviously the spiritual leader of his house. He didn't relegate that responsibility to marry the mother. He took that responsibility on. It's part of being a leader, is being the spiritual head of your household. Listen, a child is more likely to find a heavenly father in God if he can find something of God in his earthly father And seeing God in their earthly father is a child's best chance at recognizing God in a heavenly father. A famous pianist was asked one time about being a parent. And this is a quote that that he gave as an answer. Having children makes you no more a parent than having a piano makes you a pianist. (laughs) Boy, that's true, isn't it, when you think about it. So being a father requires far more than just having children. You've got to be involved with that piano, don't you? You need to study. You need to learn the feel and how it responds and how to coax those notes out and how to bring them out in an orderly fashion so that they make sense. It's the same thing with being a father. It requires involvement. Everyone say involvement. Involvement Involvement with your children. Listen. If a father is going to be a bridge between his children and God, then God must be a dad to him, and he must be a dad who speaks. Let me make this point because it is critical. It's, if, if fathers have one common that most uh, problem in common that they share, it's not communicating with their children. So if you're going to be a dad who bridges the gap between your children and God, you've got to be a dad who speaks. And when you speak, you need to communicate belonging. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible says, when Jesus was baptized at the River Jordan, the Heavenly Father spoke and said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. You see how a father speaks Dads, you need to be talking. You need to be speaking. You can't leave it to mom to instill love and, and belonging and a, and a sense of connection in your children. Your children need that connection with you. I remember reading a story one time where a, a little girl tried to describe her dad because he would leave in the morning, she never knew where he went, and he'd she'd come home the end of the day, and he never knew what he did. She described him as the light in the refrigerator. <laughs> she said, we know it's there, every time we open the door, it's shining. When we close it, we don't know if it's still on, and we don't know what's going on. So, Dad, you need to communicate and... And those words, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. Don't you know that these words move the heart of a child more than anything else? And and in some ways, from the the lips of a father, they can come from no more prominent or life-giving place than to come from a father. You are my child, in whom I'm well pleased and they, they instill in the heart of a child a sense of belonging, a sense of connection. No matter where that child may go in life or the dangers that they may face, there's a sense of connectedness. That sense of connectedness and belonging at 63 years old is still burning inside of me because I know I can just jump on the phone and talk to my dad in Arizona. And there, that sense of connectedness is, is there. I, I don't worry. I don't lose sleep about it but I loathe the thought of the day when he may go to be with the Lord. I know on that day I will feel somewhat alone in this life and in this world. Just that connection is still there and it means everything to have the dad that lets you know that you matter. And I know that so many of you in the sanctuary this morning did not have a relationship with a dad that made that connection. The message this morning for you is that your heavenly Father is there to be that, imag- that, that dad you always imagined, that dad you wanted, that man who was the, the one who fathered you, that you always wanted him to be. He is there in the person of Jesus Christ. Your heavenly Father is that perfect God, that perfect Father. I left home when I was 16 years old never looked back. I made a hard way for myself in life. But my sense of manhood and what being a man is was, as they say, it's, it's very strong in that one, if you li- like that Star Wars lingo. And that was very, very strong in me, and so, you know, I made some of my, my, uh, my choices, my ways in life difficult, but the Lord brought me through them. And so I'd been on my own, married early, raised a family early, um, all those years. But that sense of connection and belonging that was spoken into me those few years are still there and have carried me through life. I was able, when I became a Christian, to transfer all that to my Heavenly Father. And my Heavenly Father, with His Word speaking to me through the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit that dwells within me, there are many times in life when I'm on my hands and knees in prayer, I feel the hand of my Father right on my shoulder. just puts His hand right on my shoulder. And I know, without a word, He's there. I know He's hearing and He's speaking to me and He's leading me and making a way. And that gives me boldness in life. That's where fathers come from, as they come from that place, that relationship. So a father who speaks to his children, forms that bond of belonging and connection, will greatly reduce in them the risk of them going and bonding with destructive people. Your kid could still go out and join a gang. She could still go out and, and, uh, and, and take up with some, some dude uh, you know, who is, is, is not a good person. But if you've instilled that bond, that connectedness, they always will know what true love and what a true bond really is. And God <laughs> will speak through that and hold them, pull them back out of the foolishness sometimes. Amen. I know some of you are bobbing your heads right now. will say, yeah, yep. I can testify to that personal experience. Dads, you more than anyone else, and let me wrap this up, you more than anyone else are able to display the wonderful godly blends, the chemistry between faith and responsibility, authority and submission, humility and power, fellowship and leadership. A father displays all these wonderful blends, these qualities, and you pass them on to your children. Your children can learn from you How to follow the Lord with dignity through life's hard trials. Or how to trust God through life's heavy losses. When you see a father who's been kicked and knocked down, but he will not quit, and he gets back up and trusts God, it's a huge lesson in life. And you'll take that lesson and with it, you'll hold on to the Lord and turn to Him. Let me finish with this little story, and then I'd like to pray for our dads this morning. A Sunday school teacher was asking her preschoolers to uh, draw pictures of God. And so as the children were drawing with their crayons, as the class came to a close, they were eager to bring up their pictures and show the teacher their pictures of God. And so as you might guess, as they began to bring their pictures up of of rainbows and starry skies or men with big hands and say, here's my picture of God. Towards the end of the period, finally the pastor's daughter brings her picture up and gives it to the teacher. The teacher looks and it's a man with a suit. (laughs) And uh, so the teacher asks the daughter about the picture with the man with a suit And she says, well, I don't know what God looks like, so I drew my daddy instead. And when it really comes down to it, that's what we have in our rearview mirror, or sometimes that's what we have in front of us. When we think about God, we picture God. We think about that, that great father that we had. Now, I want to say thank you to all of the dads and the granddads this morning, because I know not a one of you are perfect. We have all made mistakes. Every man goes to his grave with a certain way of regret on his shoulders. And those regrets begin with number one on the list, not why didn't I go to ranger school when I was in the army? I regret that. Or become a Navy SEAL, or Or why didn't I finish college? Up on that list is something that has to do with your children. That's always number one. Sitting up at the top of the list. Every man goes to his grave with those burdens on his shoulders. So you're not unique um, in that sense of the word. But fathers aren't perfect. But they take those three... Righteousness, responsibility, and religion, relationship with God, religion. And they walk them out sacrificially before their children, and they pass from one generation to the next. And as John the Baptist said, turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and ready a generation for the Lord. We so desperately need you today. We need grandfathers. We need dads. We need great-grandfathers. And we need to encourage dads not just one day of the year, but every single day. And I want to thank you for your sacrifice and encourage you to make that sacrifice. Don't let your shortcomings, don't let the mistakes you've made hinder you today. When we stand and pray in a few moments, if you have those regrets, I want you just to imagine a little garbage can. The Lord says under the blood of Jesus, just put those regrets there. Take the Lord's forgiveness. Know His grace is upon you to walk and to do better. One thing about children, man, I'll tell you. They can get kicked, knocked down, left in a hot car for hours. By the way, you notice today how they're smashing windows, getting those kids out of those hot cars and everything. Hauling mom and dad off 15 years in prison. You left your kid in the Buick, in the uh, Walmart parking lot. Dude, we were left in the car for like eight hours, at least once a week when I was a kid. The, the, the playgrounds were not covered with soft little rubber chips. They were, they were covered with boulders and cut glass. We, we made kids tough in those days. So, you know, you might have those things in your mind, oh, what have I done? But have you ever noticed that uh, no matter what you've done to your kids to mess them up and make them squirrely, that when you... T- we, all you have to do is just pick them up and hug them and say, I love you. Man, they just forget everything. It just drip. It is, kids bounce back. So let the Lord strip all that guilt and heaviness. Let Him encourage you. Now, I know, so I tell you, I wish I could stop for a moment and preach to the single moms who are having to do double duty today. But I know you're taking notes saying, all right, well, you know, I might not be a dad, but, and I might not be able to go find a granddad. We got some guys around here who could be like a proxy granddad for you if you need something like that. I think church is a great place to do that in, you know. It's a good reason for getting involved in church because you can find some guys that can help in that area. All right, so um, we're going to pray and I, I, I want to thank all the dads and I want to pray for you. and I want to encourage you and let's stand together. I don't think there is a guy in the sanctuary this morning that didn't raise their hand, except for David over here, (laughs) to say that he is a dad. Everybody, all the men in the sanctuary this morning, raised their hand and said, I'm a dad. So would you guys just find a dad? And I want you to do something. Don't feel uncomfortable or anything. This is so important. Find a dad, and I want you to put your hand. If there's two guys, just... Put your hands on one another's shoulders. Find a dad. Put your hand on their shoulders. They've got the weight of the world on their shoulders. And we want to bless them. The Bible says we bless people by laying on hands. Come on, guys. Let's get together. Erase these aisles. Go find a dad you can support, a dad you can pray over. And we're going to pray. Lord, I thank you for all these men in the sanctuary this morning. Each one of them, Lord, are heroes, potential heroes. And Father, men who have opportunity to do great things in this world. They may not be the great things that will attract the uh, TV cameras and the microphones, but they attract heaven. They attract our Heavenly Father. You look throughout the world to find those who are faithful. I bless these fathers right now in Jesus' name. I ask you to encourage them. And I pray specifically in Jesus' name and pray that any weight of condemnation that Satan may be speaking into their ears or making, uh, making their hearts heavy with would be broken right now. And I command that weight of guilt to come off of your shoulders. I break that yoke off of you and pray in Jesus' name. Lord, let mercy flow. Let encouragement flow on these men. We need them. They have a great work ahead of them. So fill them up this morning with courage, Father God. Touch their hearts in your precious name. Now before we close, any of you this morning while you're still there praying... You've never asked Jesus to come and to be the Lord of your life. I want to pray with you this morning. If you are ready to make a decision, stop kicking the can down the road. Just like the pianist, you can come to church. You may have spent your life in church, but sleeping in a garage doesn't make you a Ford, and going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus Christ coming into your heart because you've invited him in as your Lord. That's what causes the Holy Spirit to come into your life. If you've never done that, I want to pray with you right now, right where you're standing or sitting. And if this morning you're one of those people who are saying, Pastor, I'm going to be praying with you and asking Jesus to come into my heart. Just slip your hand up and let me see your hand so I know exactly who I'm praying with. Anybody this morning with a raised hand, say, Pastor, I'm going to be one of those that you're praying with today to ask the Lord to come into my life. All right, good. Let's pray. Let's pray this from our heart out loud. Father, I come to You in Jesus' name. I believe You came into the world as the Savior And I trust you now as the one who has forgiven my sins. Lord, I receive that forgiveness. And I ask you to send the Holy Spirit into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. Lord, my life is a door. And I open it up to you. Come in and be my God. Be my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I pray for everyone who sincerely from their heart prayed that prayer this morning. I pray the Holy Spirit of the living God will fill them. That You will bring, Lord, true transformation into their life. That every bondage that Satan has held over their mind, their body, their spirit, Lord, will be broken and that from this moment on they will experience transformation. Your word will come alive for them. New hope, Father, will enter in. Faith will take hold. And you will lift those burdens and let them know that their name has just now been written in the Lamb's book of life and they are yours and they're never again alone in this life that you are their Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.